Uh, this week, we're starting a four-week series in the book of Jonah. Uh, so this is an Old Testament book, a very short book, only four chapters long. So if you would go ahead and find the book of Jonah, it's page, I think, 743 or 44 in the Bibles we provide. Um, you can also just cheat and go to the table of contents. That is totally fine. Even if you're new to Christianity, if most Christians are being honest, they have to like remember where Jonah is, because even though they may know it's at the end of the Old Testament, there are 12 little books at the end of the Old Testament called the Minor Prophets, and everyone basically has to cheat to find it. So feel free uh, to do that as you are on your way. Well, uh, the, the story of Jonah, as we trek through, is a very familiar story for those that maybe grew up in church. And part of the reason for that is because it is one of the stories that can absolutely captivate the minds of children. So uh, if you grew up in church, you probably heard this story many times as a kid. And uh, the beauty of Jonah is that the narrative flows in such a way that a child can grasp the outline of the book And yet, as many have pointed out, its theological and literary depth still amazes scholars and theologians today. So uh, I thought to kick off this Jonah series, I would just read page one of the Jesus Storybook Bible to get us into the outline and flow of what's happening in the book of Jonah. So uh, this little story is entitled God's Messenger. And Jonah was a prophet of God and prophets gave messages from God to people. And so that's what Jonah's assignment was from God. So here we go. It reads this. I hope you enjoy the illustrations. I'm sorry I don't have these on the screen for you today, uh, but we're just going to start by reading the first page, all right? God had a job for Jonah, all right? God has a job for all of us, and he had a specific job for Jonah, but Jonah didn't want it. Go to Nineveh, God said, and tell your worst enemies that I love them. No, said Jonah. Those are bad people doing bad things. Exactly, God said. They have run far away from me, but I can't stop loving them. I will give them a new start. I will forgive them. No, said Jonah. They don't deserve it. I'll run away, Jonah said to himself. Far away, so far away that God won't be able to find me. Then I won't have to do what God says. It's a good plan, he said. Because as far as he knew, it was a good plan. But of course, it wasn't a good plan at all. It was a silly plan. Because you can run away from God, but he will always come and find you. So begins the book of Jonah, and we will see this beginning in chapter 1 of Jonah today. And So if you would... I want you to think with me on the major message of this minor prophet, okay? And the book of Jonah, again, is with 11 other books, to make up 12 books, are the minor prophets in the Bible. The reason they're called minor is not because their message is unimportant, but because of the length of the books. So we can say that Jonah is a minor prophet with a major message, and his assignment from God, as we read in the Jesus Storybook Bible, was to take God's message to the city of Nineveh. Now, most children's Bibles conveniently leave out plenty of details about Nineveh, okay? Nineveh was the most important city in the Assyrian Empire, and the Assyrians were known 
for their absolute wickedness and cruelty as they conquered lands around them. Okay, this is why you'll never see in a children's Bible a picture of the royal gardens in Nineveh with king's heads hanging off the tree. But this is what they did. They lined the entrances to the city with skulls of the people that they defeated. I mean, this was not a simple assignment that God had given Jonah as we read about in uh, Jonah chapter 1. And so uh, as we get into this story, And as we get into not only today's sermon, but this entire series, we're going to hit this again and again and again as we go through these four weeks. What we need to understand is that the book of Jonah is really a tale of two hearts, okay? We have Jonah who on a surface reading of the book, after all, it bears his name, and he's usually the focus of the story and the story, children's story Bibles, right? Like, Jonah is a key character, but he is not the main character. Because the main character of this book and every book of the Bible is God himself. And so what we're going to see is that God's heart is in one place, and Jonah's heart is in a completely different place, and God wants Jonah's heart to reflect his heart, which is what we should consider today as we work our way through this story moving forward in this series. So let me read the first three verses to get us into this, perhaps what might be a familiar story for you. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship to go to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. As we work our way through this chapter, I want to give us three questions to consider to help us wrestle with this tale of two hearts, all right? The first question I want to ask us this morning is this, will we reflect God's heart by pursuing all people? Will we reflect God's heart by pursuing all people? Now, before we dive into Jonah chapter 1, I just want to point out something from the New Testament that is critical that we should have in the back of our mind. We haven't studied through an Old Testament book in a while as a church, and so I just want to say this at the outset, that everything in the Old Testament is just as much inspired by God and is profitable for us as the message in the New Testament. In fact, these two books, the Old Testament, the message of God and, and the work, his work with people before Jesus arrived, and the New Testament, the, the, the story of God and the message of Jesus after Jesus arrived, they're really one story, okay? They're one story. You have promises made in the Old Testament and promises fulfilled in the New Testament, but it's all about who God is and how we can relate to this God who created us and made us to worship him, okay? So uh, Paul then would say in Romans 15, one of Jesus' most loyal uh, followers, he would say this, for whatever was written in the former days, Romans 15, uh, verse 4, whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction. He's talking about the Old Testament. That through endurance and through, check this out, the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. 
So as we come to the Old Testament today, we need to recognize that this story has much to teach us about God, much to teach us about ourselves, and there is much instruction that should encourage us and press us on in a hope-filled manner to live our lives in such a way that reflects the heart of God. So number one, will you reflect God's heart by pursuing all people? The, the, the book starts with kind of an abrupt uh, clause. It just says, now the word of the Lord came. And if you were to study all of the prophets very carefully, this is the only prophet that begins in this way. Okay, usually there's a little bit more of kind of context as we get into what the prophecy was going to be about or what the assignment was. But Jonah, at the very outset, God is just saying, hey, this is the word that came to Jonah. And what was that word? It was a word that carried a sense of urgency and immense responsibility because in verse 2 it says, arise, go. Just like two commands that are communicating the, the nature and the seriousness of this task. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. God wants Jonah to take immediate action. And he wants him to go to this evil people known as the Ninevites to call out or to cry out their evil with the hope that they would hear about God's warning to them and they would turn back to God's ways. Now, what we need to understand is that this was really an unheard of assignment for a prophet. You see, God asked prophets to prophesy, to speak messages about or against other nations for their wickedness. But this is the only occasion where God says to one of his prophets, hey, I want you to go face to face in living color and walk into the Colosseum known as Nineveh, where there are over 120,000 people living there who don't know me, love me, or care about me, and are consequently not going to want to hear from you, and you are going to take my message into that hostile territory. So before we're too hard on Jonah, we need to consider the ramifications of what God is asking him to do. But God's heart is that this is a great city. This is a city filled with people that I created. And listen, God created all people All over the planet, every person that has ever been made has been made by God and for God. And he wants those people to know him too and to reflect who he is. So just because they were wicked doesn't mean that God didn't love them. No, God loves them and us in spite of our wickedness. And he invites us back into the story that he designed for us. And so I just want to say as, 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 a, as we get into this uh, series, we're calling it God's City, right? And it's not because Nineveh is like the, the, the focal point of the story necessarily. Okay, God is the, the main character and he's interacting with Jonah, but he's interacting with him over what? His love for, his compassion for this mass of people who were dwelling in Nineveh, one of the largest cities in the world at that time. 
And so we can safely say that God loves cities. And he's called us to love the city as well. Why is that? It's because God loves people, right? Cities are filled with people, okay? And so God loves these cities primarily, first and foremost, because they are filled with people who were made by God to reflect God. And I think we should just be saying, look, if God, if that is your heart, if you love all people and you love the cities of the world, then God, help us to love people like you love them. Help us to love the cities of the world, even our own city that you have placed us in right here in Boston. And so as we go through this series, I hope you'll be compelled to consider your love for our city And I hope you will be compelled to love our city in even a greater way than perhaps you already do, that God has put that into your heart, your neighbors, your co-workers, the people that we mix it up with and uh, interact with throughout our week. That's our hope as we move through Jonah. But Jonah clearly was not compelled. It says that Jonah, in verse 3, it says he rose, he got up, And he went somewhere, but he didn't go to Nineveh. No, he went to Tarshish. It says, from the presence of the Lord. And the author of Jonah wants us to really understand, hey, he's going to Tarshish. He says it three times, and he is going away from the presence of the Lord. He says that twice. Now, this phrase tells us that Jonah wanted to get out of the place where God was at work in Israel, okay? He wanted to remove himself from where God spoke powerfully to him and gave him this assignment. If anyone knows that God is not limited by a location, it's Jonah, right? So Jonah is not moving away from the presence of the Lord saying like, hey, if I hit the sea and I go west, then God won't be there, okay? That's not the point. The point is that Jonah wants to take himself out of the game like, hey, give me a sub. I am out of here. I am quitting the ministry. I am no longer going to be your prophet because you asked me to do something that I can't believe you asked me to do. And so I am out of here moving away from your presence and power in my life. And just as an aside, I think it's an important point of application. We are still tempted to this today, right? Like when when we know God is asking us to, to live one way and we really just kind of want to do our own thing and not be as devoted to him, then what happens? We just remove ourselves from the place where God is speaking to us and moving in our lives. This is why people stop picking up their Bibles and reading it because God speaks to us through his word. He changes us by his word. He calls us to live in a particular kind of way in his word. This is why people are tempted Week after week, just say, you know what, man? Hey, it's a weekend, man. I've got a lot of things going on. Sunday, church, like maybe next week, maybe the ne- maybe next month. You know what I'm saying? And, and it's not so much the fact that hey, what, what's it's it's the fact that man, we don't want to be confronted by God. We don't want to 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 be uh, hearing from Him in such a way that we have to contend with what He wants from us, what's best for us. And so Jonah makes his move and. We have to understand what's going on here, okay? Most scholars would tell us that Tarshish was basically in the known world at that time. It was almost off the map. 
Okay, so, so Jonah's hanging out in Israel. He goes west to Joppa, the port, a port city on the Mediterranean Sea. And then you can see this, okay, rather than going northeast to Nineveh, okay, he takes off, and I mean takes off for a city that would have been as far away as it possibly could be in this place known as Tarshish. So he pays the fare, and he gets on the boat, and he says, take me west. God wants me to go east. I'm going west. I'm going far away from God's assignment as I possibly can. Now, as we look at how Jonah is running from God, we should ask ourselves, how this week have we perhaps run from God's intention and design for our lives? Are there ways that we can look back and we can see just in the past uh, couple of days or the past week or the past couple of weeks, hey, God, you have asked me to live in this kind of way, but you know what? Rather than following you into that, even if it's uncomfortable, God, I'm going to do my own thing and I'm going to run my own way and I am going to flee from what you want for me. When we run from God, we always run into negative consequences. And that's what we're going to see as we move through this chapter. So as we think about God's call to Jonah to go to the city, to to give the message that God sent him to give to the city of Nineveh, I just want to ask us to examine, hey, do we share God's heart for all peoples? If God is the God who pursues all peoples, then are we reflecting him in how we go about our business day by day, week by week in this great city of Boston? Like, are we loving our neighbors? Are we loving our coworkers? Are we ready to extend mercy to people here in Boston and then out of here to the great cities of our world? Which is why we're on mission, which is what we talked about last week. And so just to put it simply, I would ask you, do you you have God's heart? I think the greatest prayer that we can begin to pray personally, like corporately together, that we can pray with one another and for one another is simply this, God, give me your heart. God, give us your heart. God, give us. My man, Randy, your heart. Give Alex your heart. Give Ann your heart. Give Whitney your heart. What a great way to pray. Like I just, we we talked about this morning, we're just preparing for worship, and I I share with the worship team, like if we just walk away with one thing from this four-week series, like if, if God would just put something into our heart and it could just be one thing, like how beautiful would it be if we just walked away saying, God, give us your heart. And that prayer started to become our prayer, not just for like the end of May and into June, but that became the prayer of our life. And that revolutionized the way that we relate to God and the way that consequently then, check this out, that we relate to everything and everyone. Do you know how different your marriage would be if you just prayed, God, give me your heart? Do you know how different your friendships would be? Do you know how different your workplace would be if you just prayed, God, give me your heart? This is the opportunity that we have as the book of Jonah calls us to know God's heart and to reflect his heart. First, by pursuing all people. Next, by fulfilling his plans. Read along with me as I read verses 4 through 10 of chapter 1. It says this, Jonah went west 
He got on the boat. He thought he was home free. Verse 4, but. But the Lord, Yahweh, that's God's memorial name, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up, okay? The the Hebrew uh, could literally read, as for the ship, it threatened to burst apart, okay? This was not a small storm. This was a massive storm that threatened the condition of the boat and consequently the condition of the lives of the sailors on that boat. And so verse 5 says, the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Let me translate it. What are you doing asleep? We're about to die here and you're sleeping. And then he says this, arise, call out, to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Now, the closest thing that I can get in my mind to maybe what was happening on the Mediterranean Sea is I'm not a sailor, okay, I'm not spent, but just a couple of, you know, tours on boats or whatever, like out in the ocean, okay, but, but I just think about the movie The Perfect Storm. Anyone seen that movie filmed on the North Shore, okay, and, the, and the, 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 the captain there, George Clooney, I forget his name in the movie, but regardless, all right, George Clooney gets the men on the boat of the Andrea Gale, right, and as the storm picks up, there's that iconic, I think it was like an amazing a cinematic scene where this wave must be like a hundred yards high, and the boat is like climbing up just, I mean, and it's, it's going down, right? And this is what's happening here. I mean, the waves are picking up, the wind is howling, the rain is beating down on these sailors so much that they're throwing cargo overboard. Just get anything out that might take us down. Like, let's lift the, the weight of the, the, the boat so that it is more buoyant so that maybe we can survive this nasty storm. And all the while, Jonah is just, man, he's snoozing on the bottom of the boat. Like, what's wrong with this guy, man? Like, he's running from God. He doesn't care about the, the, his own life, apparently, or the lives of the people around him. And you know what? Like, when, check this out. When we run from God, God r- runs after us. And so God is using this storm to get Jonah's attention. So much so that there's even a, a haunting phrase when the captain, who doesn't know God, comes down and he says what? Arise, call out. Familiar words? Hey, Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, Nineveh, cry out, call out against them. Verse 2, the same words that Jonah heard from God are now echoed by this captain. who is saying, arise, get up, call out, and cry out to your God. Perhaps he will save us in the midst of this storm. And so then verse 7 says, they said one to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. I mean, Jonah doesn't fess up at this point, clearly. And so they're saying, like, hey, what's going on? We need to figure this out. Uh, So they cast lots, and the lot fell on, guess who? Jonah. And they said to him, look at this. I love this, how they bombard him with questions. Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. 
What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Of what people are you? I mean, their lives are on the line, right? I mean, who could blame them? I mean, they probably just wanted to absolutely uh, take Jonah out, but they're trying to figure out what's going on, right? And so they're driving questions that would identify Jonah's God. You say, well, how how do I know that? Well, um, these people would have been amongst the people who believed that we have basically a deity for everything. This is is really uh, how Hinduism works, okay? Um, There is a God for wealth. There is a God for knowledge. There's a God over time. There's a God over fertility. There's a God over food. There's a God over the weather. And so they're saying, like, is your, is your God in charge of this? Like, can he help us out here? And Jonah, I love this. He's honest. And his answer is succinct and it's powerful. He says, I am a Hebrew. This was the term that people outside of Israel used to refer to the people of Israel as foreigners, a Hebrew. He says, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Jonah says, there is one God. The God who made everything. The God who is sovereign. That means he's in control. He has authority over everything. Every detail of our lives, God has control over it. He is the God of the wind and the waves. He is the God of the land and the sea. He is the God who can get us out of this mess. And I don't know about you, but in terms of just a worldview, forget that I am a Christian and that I do believe in a biblical worldview. I mean, if I were just kind of coming in blank slate to like, is there a God and can I know him? Are there gods and can I know them? Like, I would probably just prefer, I think it seems most appealing to want a God who is sovereign over all of it, who is truly the king of everything. This is Jonah's confession. He says, my God is in control of it all. We cannot flee from his presence. And so as we look at the book of Jonah, as we see what's going on in this story, like I, I don't know about you, but for the longest time in my walk with God, in my understanding of who he is and how I relate to Jesus, okay, this is kind of how I thought it worked. Okay, like, man, I blow it. Okay, we can call that sin. Okay, sin is rebelling against God's ways. Clearly, Jonah's a great example of sinfulness, right? He's rebelling against God. We all rebel against God. We all blow it. We all miss the mark. We all don't live according to God's design, okay? So when I would mess up, when I would sin against God, I thought that I'm standing here and God is upset with me. And so God would just kind of run away. He would move away from me, okay? And and I am here, and God is over there because God is so disappointed in me that he has to move away. But I kept reading my Bible, and I would see verses like, 
I will never leave you or forsake you. And so that, that, that was a paradigm shift, right? Like the word is correcting my understanding of God. So now I'm thinking like God is here. And so I'm moving, right? Like, hey, God, God's not moving. He's not forsaking me, but I'm forsaking him. Which in part is the reality of the situation, but that's an incomplete view of God. Because God is not only the God who will not move. God is the God that when we run from him, he runs after us. He runs after us. There's nowhere we can flee from God. God is coming after us. It doesn't matter how far we've gone, how wicked we may be, how sinful, how long we've run away from him. God is coming after us. We may not want to fulfill his plans, but he will always fulfill his plans. And he is completely committed, intent on fulfilling his plans for himself and for our lives. And so the story goes on. In verse 11, it says, Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous. It's a big word. (laughs) Verse 12, He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. And this is no small moment for for Jonah. I mean, he he is saying, Look, divine judgment is on me, and I am going to die. Because I have run from God. Verse 13, these were kind men. They were uh, not willing just to throw him overboard. It says they, they rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. Okay, now these sailors who just had a general fear and were calling out to their own gods now know that Yahweh, the God who made the land and the sea, is the one they need to be talking to. So they call out and they say, hey, look, let us be innocent for throwing this man overboard. Like, don't hold this against us. Let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you. Check this out. O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Again, God is completely sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. And these men understand that. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. What would you say the moral of the story is here? Some of you may be saying, like, well, Tanner, it's not smart to play chess with God, right? Like, he has you in checkmate before you make your first move, basically, right? It's like Jonah thought he was out of there, and and God's like, man, I told you to pursue them, but you're not going to pursue them, and you're going to run from me, so I'm going to pursue you. You have your own plan. I've given you a plan. You have your own plan, but I'm going to make sure that I fulfill my plans. So I'm going to pursue you to fulfill my plans for you and my plans for Nineveh. But it doesn't end there. Not only should we reflect God's heart by pursuing all people and reflect God's heart by fulfilling his plans, but finally, the third question is this. Will you reflect God's heart by living a holy life? Will you reflect God's heart by living a holy life? You see, God's plan for Nineveh was that they would 
reflect God's, what is holiness, okay? For God to be holy means he is completely other than, okay? He is separate. He is not like us. He is creator. We are created. He is perfect and pure and blameless and faultless. There is no flaw in God, and we are everything but those things, right? So we have flaws. We have failings. We have sinfulness. We are not morally pure. We are morally impure many, many times. And that is clear, by the way, if you just look at our lives, how we live and act on a day-to-day basis, but not with God. And so God's plan and God's heart is that as he is holy, we would be holy. This is true, not just for his people Israel, but he wants this for all people. So he says, hey, go cry out against Nineveh for their evil because it's come up before me. In other words, he knows how wicked they are and he wants them to turn back to him. And he also wants to use their turning back as an opportunity to call his own people to turn back to him, including this man named Jonah. God's plan for Nineveh was holiness. God's plan for Jonah was holiness. And God, like, why does God do all of this, right? Like, why does God, like, God, if I'm God, man, Jonah, you're out of there, man, see you later. Have a nice trip. But God pursues him. God goes after Jonah, and and he uses a storm. And then he doesn't stop with the storm. But verse 17, like, what happens? Like, Jonah, like, we're just like, sorry, I left you just kind of hanging, right? Because Jonah's like drowning now for the last 10 minutes of the sermon, okay? And I forgot to tell you. No, I didn't forget. Um, But verse 17, right? What's going on with Jonah? And the Lord appointed... Okay, it's like four times used in the book of Jonah, this word appointed. It always talks about how God is sovereignly using his creation in a very intentional way to accomplish his purposes, all right? So the Lord appointed a great fish. There's no reason to get caught up. Like, is this like a major will? Is this like a sea mall? Like, what is this thing, all right? No one knows what kind of fish it is. We just know it is a huge fish. It is a great fish that was able to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And you say, well, Tanner, like that seems far-fetched. Surely that didn't happen. This is like a parable or this is like an allegory, okay? It's like, well, Jesus says it's historical. And so I'm just going to side with Jesus on this. We might talk about it more next week because Jonah is going to be in the fish again next week as we come back to the story. But I'm just saying if God made the world and everything in it and he can cause people to rise from the dead, surely he can miraculously work uh, the, the, the great fish to swallow a man for three days and to do it to continue to get his attention and ultimately to save his life. So the question again, why did, why did God do all of this? Why did he send a great storm? Why did he send a great fish to Jonah, have Jonah camped out there for three days and three nights? It's because God loves Jonah. And as the Bible will tell us in the book of Hebrews, the Lord disciplines the one he loves. We have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they, our earthly parents, they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But check this out. He disciplines us. God disciplines us. Why? For our good. Why? That we may share what? 
in his holiness. God disciplines us. God grabs our attention because God wants us to turn back to him and to live like he has called us to live, which is a holy life. So will you reflect the heart of God by living a holy life? The book of Jonah has a lot to teach us about this man named Jonah. And it has a lot to teach us about ourselves, and I hope you've heard that today. And it has a lot to teach us about God, but it also has a lot to teach us about God's Son. You see, Jesus is the true and greater Jonah. Where Jonah failed and blew it, Jesus always came through. And to understand what's going on in the book of Jonah, I wanted to to save this kind of background for the very end just to help us understand how beautiful God's story is, not just in this book, but in the story of Jesus, which the story of Jonah is pointing us to the story of Jesus. Because the background, what we do, we don't know much about Jonah. Jonah is only mentioned one other time in the Bible. It's in 2 Kings chapter 14, verses roughly 23 through 25. And what it says there is that it describes, check this out, both Israel and Nineveh as evil in God's sight. And Jonah was there, and Jonah actually says, hey, even though Israel, you are wicked. God is going to expand your boundaries. He is going to bless you in spite of your wickedness. Now, what should that be doing for Jonah, okay? Jonah should be remembering that and saying, God, you were merciful to us, Israel, even when we were wicked. So surely I shouldn't put it past you to be merciful to another wicked people known as Nineveh. But here was the the catch, okay? Jonah was thinking, God, you are merciful, but you could not be that merciful. That would be a scandalous kind of mercy for you to love such a wicked people like that. But God's heart is to distribute scandalous mercy. And God distributes his scandalous mercy by sending his son, who, unlike Jonah, who was unwilling to cross borders, but stayed within the confines of his own comfort, Jesus Christ crossed the borders of eternity to step into time and space. Jesus crossed the borders of his perfect deity to take on our humanity and to suffer like us. Which led Jesus then to cross the border of our suffering to die on the cross for our sin that the scandalous mercy of God might be available to us and to all people. And so the hope today, the prayer today, is that we would make the aim of our heart to reflect the heart of God. Let's love like he loves. Let's pursue people like he pursues. Let's fulfill his plans. Let's live a holy life. And let's do it all so that people might know who he is and might know who his son, Jesus Christ, is. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful that you have loved us 
and that you have crossed borders to bring us your scandalous mercy and your scandalous grace. And so, God, we pray that as we absorb this book that is, in many respects, perhaps for some of us, quite familiar, God, we pray that most of all, we would get more of your heart as we understand who you are and what you've done. Father, would you move us out beyond the confines of our own comfort to distribute your love and mercy to those around us in our city. God, in the ways that we have run from you, God, we pray that we would return to you. And Father, I pray in particular for any person that has perhaps run from you their entire life, that has never come home, that has never said this, this God, this one God who sent his son to die for me and rise again, that, that I need him in my life. I want him in my life. God, I pray that for anyone that may be running from you, God, that they would return to you today. And so, Father, even as we sing of your amazing grace, Lord, we pray that we would receive that amazing grace anew today and that it would push us out to live for you this week. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.